3. We're going to continue our series called The Foundation of Our Faith. We're basically studying theology and Bible doctrines. And these are the things that we believe and why we believe it. We are in um, the first topic, and that is the topic of bibliology, which is the study of the Bible. And as we study this topic, um, one of the things that we've done is uh, we've divided it up. Last week we talked about what is truth, and we saw from John 17 and verse 17 that Jesus said His Word is truth. So what is truth to us? It's the Bible. We also talked about the fact that God describes His Word in four different areas. Authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency. So we're going to look at all four of those areas, and the first one we're going to look at this week is authority. What is the authority that the Bible brings to our life? And in looking at authority, we're going to talk about two other words, revelation and inspiration. Where did the Bible come from? If it's authority, and if it's supposed to be authoritative in our life, then how do I know that's my authority? How do I know that I'm not my own authority? That I can just make my own call and do whatever I want to do and not suffer bad consequences for it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The next week, we'll talk about clarity. Can the Bible truly be understood? Can even the simplest person understand what the Bible says? And we'll talk about that next week. Let's start today talking about the authority of Scripture. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul tells us in this writing to Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable. So what does that mean relative to the authority of the Bible? Well, first of all, let's be reminded, remember last week we talked about our doctrinal statement, which is what, as a church, we say in verbal form we believe about the Bible. This is it. The Bible is God's Word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture of error. If that is true, then where did it come from? How do we know that's true? How do we know that the Bible is without error? How do we know it's totally true? How do we know it came from God and it's for us? So we're going to look at these two words today that I hope will help all of us to understand better where the Bible came from. Number one, we're going to look at this word revelation. Revelation, relative to the Scripture, has two forms. There are two ways that God has revealed Himself to mankind. First of all, there is general revelation, which we'll look at in just a second. General revelation basically says there is a God. Now that God can be a tree, a tulip, a brick, yourself, Buddha, whatever. But there is a God. There is a higher form than me. Personally, 
I would think, it's just my opinion, I would think life would be most miserable if we think the highest form of existence is a human being, given what us as human beings normally act like. And I would hope there's something bigger and better and higher and more complex than I am. Um, if not, then we are miserable creatures. So general revelation says there is something like that. There is a God. Number two, there's special revelation. Well, what is that? This is basically the specifics about God. General revelation tells me there is a God. Special revelation tells me it is Yahweh, the creator of the universe. It is the God of the Bible. That's what special revelation is, all right? Now, let's take these two. And first of all, let's begin with general revelation. What is this? Take your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 19, and uh, let's read a couple of passages of Scripture that talk about general revelation. Psalm 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. The psalmist tells us here that there is a language that every human being understands. It's the language of nature and God's creation. Notice how he describes this language. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The heavens tell us there is a God. The galaxies, the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, the order of the galaxies... And there is not a scientist or astronomer that has ever studied the skies that would not tell you that they are totally amazing. And they are structured with order. And I can promise you, that didn't just happen. There wasn't some gaseous explosion off in Never Never Land Trillions of years ago, and then, voila, we have what we know as the most unbelievable structured entity of anything ever known to man, the galaxies and the universe. So, the heavens <coughs> say there is a God. Next, the skies proclaim the work of His hands, referring to that. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. God, again, is mentioning the order. Every day is 24 hours. Our years are 365 days. Isn't it amazing how the sun comes up every day? And it goes down every day. The moon is there every night. Whether you see it or not, it's there. And then it disappears during the day. And it happens the same way Every 24-hour day to us. <clears throat> That's what he's talking about. The order of which the heavens are constructed. Every time that happens, it is screaming to mankind 
There is something bigger than you are. Okay? Let's keep going. What else does he say? He says their speech, verse 3, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. First of all, there is not one human entity. There is not one nationality. There is not one language. There is no one anywhere on the face of the earth that cannot understand that. You can't say, well, you know, the heavens don't tell me there's a greater God because I speak Latin and I don't understand that in Latin. That is a language everybody understands. <coughs> Notice what else it says. Verse 4, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. There is not a place on the face of this earth you can't see that. Well, I live in a mud hut in the middle of Chad, Africa. I don't ever see that. Or I live in a remote island in the Pacific. We don't have access to all the technology that you do in the big cities of the world. You don't need it. This language, this message is understood by everybody and can be seen from any point anywhere on the face of the earth. Anywhere. All right? That is general revelation. Oh, thank you, sir. Okay? That's general revelation. All right? There is a God. Now, what does that mean? I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at a few verses here that talk about the importance of that revelation. Somebody says, but what if there is someone in a remote island in the Pacific and nobody ever goes and explains the Romans' road to them? Nobody ever goes and says, did you know the Bible says that you are a sinner and if you don't accept Jesus, then you're not going to go to heaven? What if nobody ever goes there and tells them that, is God still going to hold them accountable? Okay, look at Romans chapter 1. We'll read the passage, and then we'll try and answer that question. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Okay? Based upon that Scripture... Are the people on the remote island in the Pacific that never have a preacher preach a sermon to them, are they still accountable to God? Yes or no? Yes. Why? Because the Bible says that the two things about God that every human being needs to understand in order to seek Him and He will reveal Himself to them are His eternal power. Look at it. Verse 20. His eternal power and His divine nature. In other words, He's all-powerful. And he's God. He's not a human. And the Bible says here that what can be known about him, those two things, he's all-powerful and he's God, are plainly seen to everybody. How is it plainly seen? 
It is understood by the things that are made. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Day under day utter speech. Night under night showeth power. Okay? That's general revelation. Now, does general revelation tell us any specifics about God? Or could I think that that creator of all of that is something other than Yahweh or the God of the Bible? Could, could we think that? Sure we could. Because that's just general revelation. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Special revelation. How do we know the right God? How do we know the specifics about God? Well, let me give you some examples of special revelation throughout history. And all of these are recorded in the Bible. First of all, in Exodus 28, in the Old Testament, they used to use what was called the Urim and the Thummim. These were almost like dice. Um, not quite as defined as ours would be today, but that's basically what they were. Most Bible scholars seem to think it was some form of a precious stone that actually was held in a pouch in the breastplate of the high priest. And whenever they needed to know God's will about making a decision, the priest would meet with God, use these stones, and somehow God would reveal His will to them through the Urim and Thummim. That's special revelation. God is revealing specifically his thought on an issue to his people. Okay? Let me, um, <coughs> let me give you this process because this is how God's word always comes to human beings. Right? First of all, it comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, Holy Spirit. It comes from the Father. Truth that we don't know. It comes from the Father. It comes through His Son. And you're going to, in a minute, when we get down here, you're going to see Jesus is called the Word, and He revealed this to us. From the Father, through His Son, we have to know His Son in order to understand special revelation, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who lives inside of us, who gives us understanding, who helps us to understand it. And when we talk about illumination and interpretation and application, which we'll talk about next week when we talk about the clarity of the Scripture, we'll also look at the important part the Holy Spirit plays in us understanding the Bible whenever we read it, okay? So, first of all, there was the Urim and Thummim. It's coming from God through His Son by the Holy Spirit, and God has given it to humans. Here's the deal. God's truth never comes from a human to a human. It comes from God to us as human beings. In other words, man can't make up his own rules. That's not where truth comes from. And all you've got to do is look around at what happens when man does make up his own rules. It don't work, okay? Two, dreams. Genesis 20 and verse 3. And by the way, if you read the Old Testament, many times God used dreams to speak to his people and reveal what he wanted them to do. Uh, visions. <clears throat> Somebody says, What's the difference between dreams and visions? Dreams tend to focus on what the person saw, whereas a vision tended to focus more on what was said rather than what was seen. Okay? Basically the same type thing. God is telling them what he wants them to do. By the way, remember, this is all before there was a Bible. 
So somehow God had to tell them what, they wanted, what he wanted them to do. For example, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel didn't have a Bible. So how did they know what kind of sacrifice they were supposed to give? I've heard people say, well, Cain got ripped off. Because Cain and Abel gave two different sacrifices. Abel just guessed right. God told them what he wanted them to do because he says that. Okay, but there was no Bible, so how did he tell them? He had to use some of these means. Theophanies. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Remember in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 22, where the angels come to Abraham and Sarah and tell Sarah she's going to have a son, and they both laughed at him. Then the two angels left and went to Sodom, and the Bible says that after the two angels left, Abraham stood still before the Lord. Meaning, the third angel was actually the Lord, Jesus. Right? And he would actually appear, like he did to Abraham, and tell him what God wanted him to know. Um, angels, Luke 1, verses 26-38. Most popular example of where an angel delivered God's message to Mary. When he told Mary she was going to give birth to the Messiah. That message came from God through an angel. The prophets, in Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 1. The Bible says in the latter days before God spoke to his people through the prophets. He would give his vision to the prophets. They would communicate it to the people. There's a whole section of books in the Old Testament that is entitled the Major and Minor Prophets. And that's where they came from. Then Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, before he spoke through the prophets, now he speaks through his son. In John 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In John 1 and verse 14, the Bible says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. He literally is the Word of God in bodily form. He lived out what this book teaches us to live. And then finally, our passage from today, 2 Timothy 3, the final form of special revelation was the writing of the Bible. This is God's special revelation to us. From God, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, through human authors, written in a book and preserved for us. And we'll talk about a lot of those aspects as we go through this, okay? So, we have the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. It came from God to us in the form of this book, okay? So that's the difference between general revelation, there is a supreme being, and special revelation, God communicating to man through his Son and by the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right, let's go on to inspiration. When the Bible says we believe in the divine inspiration, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, in the King James, that's how it reads. Um, it translated, it means God breathed or blown out. Here's a simple definition of inspiration. God superintended human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings. There are several scriptures that deal with inspiration. We've already looked at 2 Timothy 3.16. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you another one, and then I'm going to read a verse in Acts to kind of explain what inspiration is. The term means, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it literally means to breathe, to blow, or to be prompted by God. 
So whatever was written, all Scripture is inspired of God, was God-breathed, it came from God. He's the one that breathed it out or he prompted it to be written. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we have a different Greek word that's used. Let me show you this. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. There's the other Greek word that is used in the definition of inspiration, by the Holy Spirit. So they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that word carried along mean? Well, in Acts chapter 27, uh, in verse number 15, the same word is used. Let me read you this verse. This is Paul on his way to Rome. He's on a ship, and they're about to be shipwrecked, and a storm comes up. And let me read you the verse. Um, Acts 27, verse number 15. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. That phrase, driven along, is the same term used in 2 Peter 1.21, carried along. Literally what happened when they were on this boat in the sea a storm came up, and they could not steer the boat. The wind that was driving them was so powerful, all they could do was surrender to it and go wherever it took them. They had no control over where they were going. That is the term used in 2 Peter 1.21 that describes what the Holy Spirit did with the human authors when they wrote the Bible. He carried them along. The power and oversight of the Holy Spirit was so powerful. These human writers didn't write what they wanted. They surrendered to him and they wrote what he led them to write as he supervised and carried them along. Okay? So that, in the very simplest form, is what inspiration is. Now, there are four characteristics of inspiration that are very important, okay? And we're going to talk about these, and then we're going to be done. First of all, it's verbal inspiration. What does that mean? We believe that when God, through His Holy Spirit, guided these human authors to write, that He guided them to write the very words. They weren't just thoughts or concepts. They were the very word. That's why every word of God is important, okay? Number two. We believe it's plenary. What does that mean? That means that we believe he inspired all the words, not just part of them. There is a theory out there uh, called partial inspiration, meaning that he only inspired the words that deal with faith and practice. The historical things, the scientific things contained in the Bible were not inspired by God. They were added. God didn't tell them to do that. They just kind of added that in. Okay? We don't believe that. If, if that's true, then there's the, the uh, cause for error because God wasn't in control of it. And if there's error anywhere in the book, then the whole book's wrong. Okay? So that's why we believe in plenary, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right? By the way, 1 Corinthians 2.13 talks about the very Word of God. All the words are important. 
Number three, we believe that inspiration was infallible. What does that mean? It is incapable of error. If God did it, then it is not even possible that there is an error. And then finally, number four, along with that, inerrant, which means it is therefore without error. There is no error in it. John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, the word was truth. In Proverbs 30 and verse 5, Psalm 119, 160, the Bible says, every word of God is flawless, but without error. Okay? Now, let me tell you this. If there is a mistake in this book, and if there is an error, or if you believe that there is an error, and, and it's okay. I mean, if, if that's what you believe, that's okay. But if it is, you're foolish to sit here and listen to me every week. You're crazy. If this book is wrong, then why would you come listen to it? If this book is not right, if there's something in here that's wrong, why would we put so much emphasis on it? Now, those of us that believe all of this, and, and, and I'm assuming that all of you do. I'm, I'm not saying you don't. But you're going to face people who don't. The truth is, if I don't believe this, then it's foolish for me to do that. But if I do, then this should be the most important book in my life. Here's where the challenge comes for you and I as believers. Do what we say about this and what we do about this match? Do I really believe this about this book? If I do, I'm not going to take one step or make one decision in my life without consulting this book. If I don't really believe that, if I think that there's some chance I could be a little smarter than this book, then I may not think I really need to consult it every time I make a decision. I don't think that would be the case with most all of us. Here's more what I think we suffer and struggle with, and I do the same thing. We get so busy in life that we don't have time to do this. And that's true of me. We all struggle with that. I, if, if I had to guess, I would guess that everybody in this room, for the most part, believes what we've talked about. You love this book. You want to know everything that God wants you to know out of this book. And, and, and you love it. You really do want to know. But we get busy. And sometimes we just don't have time. That's where the challenge comes, I think, for most of us. And then there's a lot in here. I mean, learning the book is a process. It's just like learning anything. Most of us went to kindergarten. And there were some of us that were lucky to get out of kindergarten we went into elementary school. We barely made it through elementary school. We got to junior high. Now life begins. We get to high school, and we know everything. We go to college. We're becoming geniuses. We graduate from college, and now we're smarter than God until we get out into real life. And then we realize, wait a minute, all that stuff they told me in those classrooms, how come it ain't working like that out of here? And that's where we come to the realization you know, I really do need whatever God says in here. Okay? 
So the Bible becomes very important. Let me show you one more thing. Give me one verse before we close. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. There's one more thing about the Bible that is not up here. And it's the most important thing about this book. This book is supernatural. It's not just another book. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. It's not just a book. It is a living book. It's active. It supernaturally converts and changes the human life. It comforts the human heart. If you ever get discouraged, go to the Psalms and just start reading until God comforts your heart. It's a miracle. It works. Isn't it interesting? When people get into trouble, or they get into a situation in their life where they have nowhere to go, it's amazing how most people run to God for help. That's natural. Because we realize I can't do it on my own. This book is supernatural. The Word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This book tells me what I'm really like. It's amazing how accurate it is. So this book is supernatural. It's not just another book. I can tell you this. When I was in college... I had all kinds of textbooks. It wasn't none of them supernatural. I thought some of them were demon-possessed when I tried to learn what was in them, but they weren't supernatural. Uh, a few of them did attempt to change my life, but they're just books. This book has changed my life. I've watched this book change the lives of hundreds and thousands of other people in the 52 years I've been on this earth. This book makes a dying person at peace. I've also seen people without this book that go to their deathbed screaming bloody murder. It's a supernatural book. Now, somebody says, Bill, there sure is a lot of stuff in there, and some of that stuff we read, it is awfully hard to understand. Remember, Peter even said about Paul, some of the things he wrote were hard to understand. Next week, we're going to talk about the clarity of the Bible. Can the Bible and everything in it really be understood? And if so, how? We'll talk about that next week, okay? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for giving us your word. Help us to love it, to honor it, to live it. And Lord, we ask that as we go through life and we face the challenges that we face as human beings, Lord, I personally get so busy sometimes that I neglect it. I make decisions and, and I react to things sometimes without giving thought to what the Bible has taught me I ought to do. And I know, Lord, that I always get in trouble when I do that. So, Lord, forgive me for those times and help me to be more conscious of the principles of your Word and what you want me to do as I live my life. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.